are listening to The Depression Session at 99.1 FM Downtown Radio. Each week, we'll have a new guest tell the story of their depression. I'm your host, Laura Milkins, and thank you for joining us on The Depression Session. Just a note for my listeners, I want to make sure you understand that this is a show about depression, and some of the content can be triggering, so please take care of yourself if something on the show brings up difficult feelings, and seek professional help if you need it. Thank you. Hello, and welcome to the Depression Session here at Downtown Radio. Today we have with us in the studio, Hillary. She's a freelance photographer and mother, and she's working towards sustainability of body and soul. We'll be right back with Hillary, but first I'd like to talk about energy. The energy of the mind is the essence of life, Aristotle. I'm feeling good and full of energy and pretty afraid that it won't last. (laughs) I've been thinking, all right, this is some sort of trick, and I'm going to go back to not wanting to do anything. Last night, I sat out on the porch with my beautiful friends and had a glass of wine and chatted and laughed until 1130 at night. And it was such a lovely girl conversation, you know, the conversation where you're talking about boys a little bit and past relationships and struggles and, you know, the, the time that, you know, somebody dumped you and said, no, I never loved you. <laughs> and then we'd laugh and, you know, or go, oh, what a jerk. And just being with a group of people and staying up relatively late and not feeling like I just wanted to go home. It's just amazing. I felt good. I felt full of life. It felt fun instead of like a chore. And then this last couple of weeks have felt like that. And I'm kind of afraid to jinx myself. I'm I'm afraid to tell you all this and then it'll just poof (laughs) and deflate and go away and I'll be back where I was. But I really feel good. I, I have now planned a trip to France. I'm going to go to an artist retreat for a month in June, and we'll have some people covering the show at that time. And I'm really, really looking forward to it. I realize that part of the thing with energy and part of the thing with depression is you can't think into the future. You can't look off into the future and think, yeah, I'll be doing that next year. It doesn't feel like there's a next week, maybe, or not not that you're going to die, but just you can't think beyond the very bare necessities that you have to do. And now I'm thinking of what I'm going to do in June and making plans for August and thinking about what I might do in July. And it feels so healthy. It feels so healthy that I'm afraid. <laughs> I'm afraid of it a little bit. I'm afraid I'm just going to go back <laughs> and crawl back in bed and never get out again. <laughs> and I have a, a little quote here from the website all about depression. And it's a, a little thing about decreased energy for people with depression. And it says, having low energy and feeling tired and fatigued are very common symptoms if you're depressed. You may feel quite tired even without having engaged in any physical activity. Simple day-to-day tasks are no longer simple. Even such things as getting washed and dressed in the morning can seem overwhelming and may take twice as long as usual. When you are able to do things around the house or at work, you may become very exhausted or tired quickly. And that's, that's it. That's how I've been feeling. That's what I've been struggling with more than anything is not just a lack of energy. I mean, that's been a major part where everything seems like a chore, even things I like to do. I've been 
kind of neglecting my garden this winter. I, I said, Mom, can you just do it? <laughs> and she said, oh, yeah, I love to garden. And she went out and she did a whole bunch of gardening, and that's been great. But I just didn't even feel like watering my plants and feeding myself. And now I'm planking a plan to go somewhere over the summer, and it feels fantastic. It's a good timing because I have uh, coming up on all the finals for all my students. So I'm like, well, it's a good time for me to have tons of energy because I'm going to be working 12 hours a day every day until the semester ends. But it doesn't feel like a chore. Part of that was the decision I made a couple of weeks ago. I talked on the show last week about this, that I was just in a place of acceptance of saying, this is, this is, my life is busy and I have a lot to do. And I'm going to have to work a lot of hours, but I love what I do and to just accept that. And I wonder if some of this feeling of energy is really coming from some deep, simple acceptance of like, this is my life. This is what it looks like. And it doesn't have to be anything different. So I'm going to try to put aside my fears of what might happen and that I might be depressed again and I'm, that feeling might go away and just accept that could happen and that would be okay too. And so I will end with a quote from Hafiz. Fear is the cheapest room in the house. I would like to see you living in better conditions. So today we have with us in the studio, Hillary. She's a freelance photographer and mother working towards sustainability of body and soul. Hello, Hillary. Welcome to the Depression Session. Hello, Laura. Thank you so much for having me. It's such a pleasure and an honor. Oh, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. And what's going on with you these days? What's new? What do you want to share with us? Well, this morning, actually, <laughs> we were talking earlier about my allergies. <laughs> That's what's going on. I've got the sniffles in my eyes, <laughs> tearing up constantly, so forgive me for my for my sniffles. But that's that's pretty much what's going on this morning. That's all so, I've got. <laughs> so if we hear you sniffling, you're not crying because, from your story of depression? Or? Possibly. I don't know. It might be intertwined or mixed, <laughs> but mostly allergies for sure. <laughs> yes. I know. I was telling you, I, I when I moved to Arizona, my allergies pretty much stopped. And I realized I have a lot of mold allergies and living in Michigan and Maine, New Hampshire, Boston, where it's just rainy and cloudy and everything molds like you, you leave something out and here it desiccates, it dries up and mummifies. <laughs> yes, exactly. In Michigan, it grows its own colony. <laughs> and then right. I'm allergic to that colony. Well, it mummifies here and then it produces dust. <laughs> That's what I'm dealing with, I think. All the dust. All the mummified <laughs> flower dust. <laughs> exactly. Yes, yes. There's so. got to be a metaphor in that. I don't know what it is. I can find it. <laughs> I'm allergic to living and thriving things and you're allergic to the dead and dust mummified flowers of Jesus. Oh, the unity. <laughs> It's a beautiful thing. It's such a shame. It's so gorgeous. The other day I was walking to, I'd been trying to take a two-hour walk every day to get out in the sunshine, get some vitamin oh, D. That's great. And I was coming back mm. from my walk and I went past this garden and it w had these unreal flowers that were five inches across, hot pink, oh, and looked wow. like they'd been made out of paper or something. They just oh. were so unreal and so beautiful. And I, I knew, oh, this is the night blooming cirrus. What is it doing open in the middle of the day? And so I looked at the gentleman who was walking toward me, and I'm like, 
can you believe this? <laughs> and I think he's a homeless gentleman. And he said, I know. this. They're not supposed to be blooming now. I said, well, maybe it's because it's in the shade. And, and he's like, that's that's a that's a night blooming flower. And I'm like, yeah, it's a night blooming cirrus. And that was our, the content of our like little conversation. <laughs> yeah. But I'm like, you know, this is Tucson. <laughs> in this a is what we do. What is with this flower thing? That's great. I love it. I can all relate. <laughs> We're, we're, we're all either night flowers or day flowers. I think I'm a day flower. I don't bloom well at night. <laughs> I think I'm a night... Man, you and I, we're just on opposite <laughs> ends. <laughs> totally. And I think of that flower and all I think of... It's my allergies. <laughs> it's beautiful. I'm going to keep away from that. <laughs> right. Keep my distance. <laughs> oh, that's great. Uh, oh, Tucson. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> on that note, Hillary, tell us the story of your depression. All right. So my story of depression starts uh, from my childhood, actually. So from a really early age, I, you know, I had a mother who was who was in a lot of pain. She had rheumatoid arthritis, and and I was sympathetic to that and very compassionate to that. And I felt that her needs and taking care of her were, were kind of more important than my own because I felt her pain and I felt that. And she kind of honed in on that as well, I think. And so uh, from an early age, I was kind of in this mentality of taking care of other people and kind of noticing that that um, I kind of had to put my needs aside for others. Well, I learned that, I guess, from my mother. And so that kind of carried on through my through my childhood and through all different aspects and through that it was it was just kind of this kind of something that carried on this idea um i wasn't taught any differently so all throughout childhood and and my teenage years it was just kind of this this taking care of other people kind of mentality also my family it was very uh, academic they were they were very into that and i just thought differently i i wasn't into that sort of education, I guess. I mean, I did well. I had good grades and all of that, but I was just more of an open, open-minded creative and my family couldn't relate to that. So they didn't really encourage it. And I felt kind of alone with that. I always felt a little different too in school settings and, and I was shy and, and didn't have a lot of confidence, I think, because I, I didn't get that from my family situation. <laughs> so. So yeah, I was just kind of insecure and, and felt alone and I wasn't encouraged in the way that I thought and the way that I was existing, I guess. <laughs> so then that continued through. It was kind of a mentality. Also, also I grew up in a very structured religious environment. So my family was Mormon and there were just so many rules that I couldn't relate to and so much structure that that I just couldn't, I couldn't get around. That was part of the lack of confidence as well. My family also taught me that because I, because I wasn't interested in my academic education, that kind of get part of the Mormon religion too is getting married early. So I jumped right into a relationship at 18 where I got married right away because I didn't think, I didn't have the confidence that I could do things on my own and I could make it for myself. So 
And I, and I sought out a relationship that was familiar to my family situation. So then I got in a marriage where I wasn't really encouraged to pursue my creative uh, capabilities or interests. And it was very much the same, the same type of a thing. I just felt really alone. I was in an environment. Uh, my, my husband at the time was in law enforcement. So that was another structured environment where there weren't many creatives, not a lot of people I could relate to. He thought that my interests were kind of, kind of wacky and unusual and, and kind of discouraged those as well. So, so here I was in another situation where I felt very, very alone, very weird, very, um, I felt shame almost about who I was. And so I tried to hide it, and I tried to take information from what other people were doing, and I tried to relate to them through that, but I've, but it was transparent, you know, it wasn't genuine, it wasn't authentic, so that, that made me feel even more alone, it was kind of like just grasping at something to relate to other people, and you know, I was trying all these different things. I would try all these interests, and, and one by one, they kind of fell away because of the shame that I felt and the discouragement. So it was kind of just this slow deterioration of my soul, <laughs> really. I mean, that's kind of a dramatic way to put it, but, but, but it was. It was kind of like, I'm trying all these things. I'm trying to relate to all these other people, and nothing is working, and, and I'm still in this place of of just feeling kind of worthless and unappreciated and so I just continuously got sadder and sadder and my energy levels went lower and lower and I was trying to seek out love by showing love to other people and my husband and it wasn't getting returned to the way that that I needed to but I didn't understand I didn't know what else to do so I just kept doing it and it was a really long period of time it was about 10 years that that I was married but but at some point, it was like after trying all these things that I thought would make me happy and the other people were telling me would make me happy, I just kind of realized through experiencing those that wasn't going to work for me. So so I kind of got to this point where I was like, well, well, these things aren't working. I might as well just start being brave and kind of just doing what I needed to. It was kind of this point of hopelessness, really. You know, I was just so sad and so much pain and didn't understand why people... People were were not treating me the way that I was treating them, and I couldn't relate to anybody. So, so it was kind of this rock bottom type place where I just said, "It can't get any worse than this. So I might as well <laughs> try something different." So then I started, and, and I was definitely suicidal. You know, I was just at this point where I felt so unseen and alone that I felt. Like, I just laid around on the couch all day. I remember just laying on the couch for hours and hours, just staring at the ceiling and thinking that if I really wanted to, I could just, I could just end it right, right now. I could just be gone. This is, this isn't working out. <laughs> this is what life is. Then I don't want any part of it. And I remember it was just so hard to do anything, to have the energy to eat. And I didn't care about what I was eating and, and even just to get up and, and I just felt numb. I wasn't feeling anything at the same time, you know, it was kind of this, this like just prolonged sadness and numbness of I've been hurt so much and this isn't working. I'm just kind of giving up type of a thing. I don't want to feel anything anymore. I don't want to be hurt by anybody anymore. So I'm just like kind of existing in this weird numb space of not caring about anything. So that was part of, part of what encouraged the, the bravery, I guess, or the courage to just start trying something different. And it was through actually photography that I I started to see other people that were kind of like me. I found other people through blogs who 
cared about the same things I could tell in their photos that they there were things that they cared about that I cared about that really resonated with me there were photos about moments of love and not just the superficial components of you know I have house I have a car I have these things and I'm happy it was like these moments of like somebody somebody's hand touching somebody else or somebody kissing somebody on the forehead or just like a genuine smile or a moment that really touched me and so it was that that kind of sparked my my understanding or my hope that there are other people out there like me. Um, so I started to pursue um, photography and get into that. And and it was kind of a slow progression. I had I had a son um, with my, my ex-husband. And um, when I wasn't confident in college, I did have an interest in photography, but I was really discouraged by a lot of people who, who didn't believe in me and kind of... <laughs> told me I, I wasn't able to do it. <laughs> they said, you're not brave enough. You're not good enough to tell people what to do. And at that time, I wasn't. I didn't have confidence. So, But then with the birth of my son and him being amused, I started taking photos of him and expressing myself and seeing what I cared about, um, what spoke to me in those moments. And it kind of just progressed as my confidence did. My son, my my friends, children, families, it just kind of grew and grew. And with that, with every photo shoot, it was like I gained more confidence and like just putting myself in a situation that was terrifying um, just because I had nothing to lose and, and learning from it and growing and finding confidence and like also seeing the beauty in myself. So, so through that, I just gained the confidence that I needed. And I also started to find my people, people who I could relate to and help me feel less alone. And a lot of artists I found too were were talking about kind of the same things that I was going through um, because I do believe that, and I see now that creative expression, self-expression is so important dealing with sadness and kind of that component of, of feeling shame and, and not understanding who you are and listening to yourself and gaining the confidence and listening to, to what you need to thrive and be happy in life. So yeah, it's just kind of kind of been that. And also it was there was a component of being vulnerable, just opening yourself up that that was really healing for me. And that was part of the whole photography thing. So so I guess it's really important to me because to to understand or or to share how I came out of my depression because it was such a long, it was such a prolonged thing. It was almost my entire life. And and just feeling that hopelessness and that feeling of shame and being alone and and not believing in yourself that you can that there's something better and and uh that's really painful and it's really hard especially for people who are really you know more sensitive hypersensitive and empathic so yeah i guess that kind of comes full circle well thank you thanks for sharing your story yeah of course thank you for the opportunity i appreciate it and I, I feel like that feeling of isolation is so much a part of depression. It's right. like par- part and parcel of what depression is, is feeling alone. And it can be alone in some misery or alone just for isolation because you don't feel up for stuff and you don't want to go out and see people. Right. And with you, it sounds like it was you were alone because nobody understood you. You didn't you didn't have your people. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. And and I was like made fun of almost for who I was. 
I, I remember very distinctly, I was decorating my house with elements from outside because I really loved nature. I had like antlers or something in my house. And I had one friend who was like, who does that? That's so weird. I didn't understand. But I was like, but I see it in Pottery Barn and I'm blocking, you know, like, like what? But she's like actively making fun of me. And and my my husband at the time would do that as well. It was like, I just wasn't free. I just wasn't accepted for who I am and encouraged. And that was like, that's what I found is really important. Just whatever speaks to you, you got to find those people who just accept you and love you for that. You know, that's a huge part of it. Well, and it starts with yourself too, because I it was part of gaining the confidence to love those things about myself and, and believing in that and not feeling that fear of being judged or... or whatever shame those types of things so and, and family family is so much a part of depression yes you know whether it's the family. biological component of like they have depression and you have depression and right. all your relatives have depression or various ones do or if it's just an atmosphere where you don't fit or or i've had people on the show who were outright abused physically emotionally or otherwise mm -hmm. and but it's we all come from somewhere and we're always trying to create our identity in relationship to those people who raise us, whether right. it's like direct family members or adopted or whatever. And, and it's, it's almost impossible to do that if you don't feel like you, you're understood. <laughs> right. You know? It is. It's, it's totally, you know, that's all you know when you're growing up. That's what you learn and you don't know any different, really. Yeah. It's like your little bubble of this is what life is like, <laughs> <laughs> what it's going to be like. And you don't understand that as a child because even when you're younger, because it's like your parents going to have to be, or your, your family, as you're saying, they have to be your, your godlike figures who, yeah. you, to survive. You've got to trust that they know what they're doing. And then you kind of reach this point when you where for me and our my family growing up was really shy. Like there, we didn't have a lot of friends over. Like I wasn't encouraged to have friends over. So it was very, you know, I wasn't introduced to many different perspectives or lifestyles or anything like that. So I just had a very small pool of knowledge of of what this was, you know, what I was supposed to pursue in life and, and all of that. So that was part of the isolation of feeling alone. It was just this really tiny ecosystem. <laughs> it surprises me to hear you say that in some ways because I have this perception based on a few families I've known over the years who are Mormon who have this tight, tight social network of this big community of mm -hmm. 100 families or 500 families or 50 families right. that all do all these things together and I'm like oh that's so beautiful what a beautiful culture right <laughs> yeah that was in our case so growing up out east I grew up in North Carolina and there aren't many other LDS members there so it was it was tiny I mean there were only two or three mm. other it was usually girls but like peers my age and and my parents were just antisocial. I mean they just it was just shy so so yeah that is I think common in a lot of Mormon families but it wasn't in my scenario <laughs> so it, it, you know it reminds me my cousin a number of I think it was last year or the year before we were just hanging out at my aunt's aunt's table my mom's side of the family just he and I chatting my aunt my mom and he said he's been he was talking about suffering from like some pretty major depression and finally getting help for it finally mm -hmm. getting some medication and finally getting to a point where like the day's okay mm-hmm 
And he, and, and also we were talking about our family jokes and our family humor and how, yeah. how weird it is, you know, <laughs> and, and all the things mm-hmm. that we do, like we break out in song, <laughs> you know, in, oh, in musicals where like nobody actually does that. Well, no, we do. Cause somebody will say <laughs> Hugh, cousin Hugh, and we'll always go, we'll all go only Hugh. <laughs> yeah. It's just like oh, so goofy. Great. So wacky. And he yeah. said, <laughs> he said, there are more people in my family who just get me than anybody else I've ever met. Mm. And I felt in that moment, that is really true. We are so lucky. Mm-hmm. What a lot. And this is like my extended family. Whenever I say my family, people think my, I'm talking about my mom, my dad, my brother. And mm-hmm. I'm not. I'm talking about the family, the which family. is like my mom, my dad, my brother, my cousins, my other cousins, my second cousins, my third cousins, oh, twice wow. removed, my grandparents, mm-hmm. like this whole raft of people who live in the same town and I made a choice to live far away because I felt it very confining in some ways to have that much expectation and Mm -hmm. I needed to go be the weird artist that I am (laughs) and that I wouldn't say you know there are a couple family members on both sides who are artistic and who kind of get me in that realm but then my artwork is weird on top of that (laughs) but when I when I was younger my dad said that I I was three years old and I said, I'm going to be an artist. Wow. And he's like, pat, 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 you know, not knowing like, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm going to be an artist. That's right, honey. <laughs> and then he reminded me of it when I was in college. I was going to be an engineer. I was an engineering major because I wanted to make decent money and have a life, right? Right. Yeah. And then I looked at my professors. I took an art class and I spent all my energy on that. I really could care less about Calc 2, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I looked at my professors and I thought, oh, my God, they have jobs and families and they're not poor and living on the streets. You can be an artist. Wait, wait, you can be an artist. And I switched right then. And my dad said, oh, okay, cool. Well, what's nice is that he didn't say what he said to my brother and his friends, which is, oh my God, what's she going to do? <laughs> <laughs> like, I really appreciate that. Just like, oh, okay, you always loved art. Ever since you were three years old, you've been saying you're going to be an artist. And wow. I went, oh, really? At three? And he said, yeah. Wow. That's great. Because I really think we're in tune at that age and we're open with like kind of our purpose or, or whatever's going to make us happy. That's amazing. Yeah, I didn't I didn't get that. <laughs> wow, that's really insensitive of me to think up how nice my dad is. <laughs> that's okay. I'm like, that's great for you. I'm genuinely yeah. happy. <laughs> but your story really yeah. struck home because I did I was so lucky. Yeah. So lucky to have all these depressed family members who Ooh. get why I'm depressed. Well, and and so funny. lucky to have a yeah. parents who they didn't understand art and they weren't into it, but were just like, You always loved art. Yeah. Well, I found a lot of strength in finding my family, too, mm-hmm. you know, because I think everything's relative to our situation. So I see that and I'm like, that's great. But like, for me, I think I really needed the appreciation of finding that. And I think I was strong enough to say at some point, this isn't this isn't working. I'll find it somewhere else. And that freed me not only in my marriage. It wasn't encouraging, but also in my in my biological family, it was just saying, you know, this isn't working. And I know we're like tied and with all these different components, but I'm going to go find what I need in the world. It's there. It exists. (laughs) And I found it. (laughs) Well, I am so grateful that you've come on the show and shared your story. And I think that's an inspiring end to the show that just go out there, find, find somebody that make your own family if your family isn't the one that understands you right yes they're out there man you just gotta find (laughs) them (laughs) well thank you so much i'm very grateful for being on well thanks for being on the depression session 
I want to mention again that if you found some of the content of today's episode triggering, please seek professional help and call 911 if you feel like hurting yourself or others. I'm not a licensed therapist, and this show and the station are not endorsing any remedies or products. The purpose of this show is to destigmatize depression through storytelling. You can find a link to mental health services on downtownradio.org on the About KTDT page. To listen to the podcast, or if you're interested in being on the show, contact us at www.thedepressionsession.com. You've been listening to The Depression Session on Downtown Radio Tucson with music by Septa Helix. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at The Depression Session Podcast. Thank you.